Welcome to Milkmaid's Podcast, the unconventional homesteading podcast. I'm Stephanie from Wyoming. And I'm Tara from Montana. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into an inclusive homesteading topic from canning, dairy animals, gardening, animal husbandry, and everything in between. Hey, Tara. Hey. How's it going? Good. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here we are. We're here again. So I just wanted to say off the top, if you just grabbed this podcast after like a desperate search for a podcast episode covering milk fever and ketosis in cows, welcome. Please know we do a lot of talking in the first half. And if you're in a panic state looking for something to help you out, just skip ahead about 15, 20 minutes and go from there. I don't know the exact time because we haven't recorded it yet, but it should be something around there. So otherwise, welcome listeners. Old and new, I guess. I don't know. Did you ever do that where you look for a podcast specifically pertaining to the emergency that you are currently in so you can make lunch for your children while also researching? <laughs> Trying to figure things out? Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. And this is a topic that we're covering today that's, but it is kind of a panic situation. So, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully, if you're not in this panic situation, you can listen and kind of be prepared just in case. Like, at least you'll have some knowledge in your brain, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or at least know that we did the episode and then go back. Yeah. And listen. I re-listen to things all the time when I need more specific information. I do too. Like, I was waiting for you because one time you told me to go listen back to an episode. Instead, I wanted to just ask you and have the answer, like, handed to me. And you're like, go listen to this episode on chicks. And I was like, no, I have privileges. (laughs) I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Anyway, all right. Our shout out this week goes to Pollination out of Michigan. Isn't that a cool name? Because it's pollen and nation together. Yes, one all word. in one word. So yeah. pollination. Pollination. So I happened to stumble upon this amazing company because I was looking at these cute like little lollipops that are actually seeds in like a round lollipop looking package that has like all of the dirt you need. You just water it with the flower seeds in there. And you use the stick that the little lollipop is on for like a marker to mark where you planted these seeds. It's so cute. Planting lollipops. It's so cute. I love and they're, that. They're $4.99. So I just kind of went in a rabbit hole of these. They're so cute. I think it would be really cute in like a little Easter spring basket for your kiddo. Oh, that's See? a good idea. That's why I was interested in it. Yeah, they can do the egg hunt and then they can do the lollipop plant. Yes. Wonderful wonderful Except we're gonna have to save ours for like three more yeah. months but yeah, most yeah. people <laughs> would be able to do <laughs> right. the egg hunt and then the seed planting right right so this company does sell that and like those lollipops that i just talked about they're developed for whatever pollinator you want around your yard so butterflies bees it's all flowers specific to that pollinator and it turns out that pollination was started on Earth Day of 2020 by Jana Urbasic, who is a First Nation Cree of Waswanipi. And if I say that wrong, please correct me. And I think that's so neat that it was started on Earth Day of 2020 because, as everyone knows, the panini was going on there. And she's like, no, I'm going to start a business and help the Earth. And that's what she's doing. Right. So in 2009, Jana moved to New Zealand from Chicago. And while in New Zealand... She decided to switch her career from marketing to conservation. And it was during that time that her focus really shifted to business models that serve her community. So in 2016, she moved back to the States and started hobbies that included planting many wildflowers and keeping bees. So this hobby created a spark that really started to grow. And you and I both can relate to that, Stephanie, because that's how our podcast pretty much got started. Right, exactly. So when she fell in love with beekeeping, she decided to take all these passions and start Pollination as a company. So Pollination offers some of the most unique signs I personally have ever seen. And have you ever seen a seed bomb, Steph? Yeah. You know what those are then? Just recently. Yeah. Yeah, they're a big thing. So I I just stumbled upon them um, actually this morning when I was looking for a shout out. So yeah, Yeah. it's funny that we both stumbled upon products. (laughs) Well, I know about the seed bombs because they're pretty popular with like rebel uh, pollinator types on TikTok. So what they are is that there's like a huge movement to plant wildflowers in city lots that aren't being utilized. There are a ton of city lots that are just abandoned and they're not doing anything but collecting garbage and like weeds. So essentially they are balls formed with soil and seeds that you can toss into like an abandoned area and provide food for our pollinators because most of the time these are wildflowers that can be grown and just watered with like what natural water does happen which is really neat and 
You can find bags and bags of these seed bombs on Pollination, their website. And they also offer Terrace Bee condos, beeswax candles, and the seed pops I mentioned. And if you couldn't tell, I'm pretty obsessed with those personally. Yeah, I think I might need to get some too. (laughs) And then they offer pollinator push gardens and it looks like a push pop, but inside (laughs) it has soil and seeds and then you pop them open and then you can use that same packaging as like the place where it says what seeds are on there. It's like a marker. It's so cute. There are even stickers to show your love for pollinators. They have such a cute yellow one that says got milkweed with a little butterfly on it. So pollination nerds would know exactly what that means. Right. You can check them out at pollination for the number for all.com and see all the amazing seeds and the swag that they offer. So let's make this summer all about the pollinators. Yeah. And just uh, um, if you haven't listened to it, our most recent episode before this one was about pollinators. Yes. So um, and pollinator gardens. So check that out. We're obviously obsessed because our shout out this week's all about it. And yeah, like you included a picture of these little pops. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to have to get them. They're only $4.99. I'm telling you. Because my kid's going to love that. I think it's so fun. Yeah. And the marker so she can go out and check like where they are and how they're growing. I love those. Um, Yeah. I'm going to snag a picture. And then when I make the Instagram post, I'll make sure to put that as like the shout out part for (laughs) pollination. Yeah. And I love the idea that that's for Easter. Yes. You're welcome. Awesome. So if you want to tell us about any other Easter gifts, reach out to us for any reason. Send us a shout out milkmaidspodcast at gmail.com you can reach us at milkmaidspodcast on facebook or instagram cool do all the things rate review subscribe yes so we did get another review from canada canada people are they're the best yeah seriously always review us the majority of our reviews are from canadians because they probably feel bad that i thought milk bags were only segregated to (laughs) quebec and then on our Facebook group, Milkmaids Listeners Club, somebody corrected me and said it's all of Canada. So That's I apologize. What I said for the record. <laughs> Let the record show that I was not wrong once. I just like to argue with you, I think. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, back to our review. It says, yay. That's the title. Yay. Which is something I would do. So it says absolutely amazing podcast. So much research, very down to earth and fun. And that's from Teeny Tiny Tank via Apple Podcast. So thank you for that. Sorry it took me a while to include it in our show notes but thank you yeah we love that thank you so much are you ready to talk about the bird flu stuff i don't want to talk about this i don't want to talk about it either but i i feel like if we pretend that it's not happening people are going to get mad that's how i get through most of life though yeah no yeah i do the same okay yeah we are not healthy individuals mentally so If you pretend a problem's not there, it's not going to happen, right? Yes. Right. But so we are aware of the bird flu. We talked about it today and we haven't yet addressed it on the podcast, but we wanted to let you know that it currently is in these states. If there are more states, please correct me. But from my research, it's in Maine, New York, Indiana, Virginia, South Carolina, Florida, Tennessee, New Hampshire, Delaware, Kentucky. And I said Virginia again. So if you're in Virginia... (laughs) double whammy (laughs) here's the thing though is um a people listen to these podcasts like whenever today is the 22nd of february yeah that's the best of our knowledge at this very moment in time right and birds you can't just be like hey please don't fly across state lines that's it right so human contact is rare but not unheard of and it usually occurs if you spend significant time with your birds and have contact with them quite a bit so for now you should always wear proper ppe while doing poultry chores And here are some signs if you are interested more. We will have links to the resources in the show notes. There's a lot of information in there. And I feel like some websites don't give you a lot of information. It's more geared toward like human contact. Like don't worry, you're going to be fine. But if you do get it, there's like a 40% chance that it'll be fatal. I'm like, okay, so (laughs) don't worry, but also it's fatal. But also don't die. Right. Well, and the thing about these, like some of these things, this this one in particular birds are the worst they really are they're nasty they're nasty and i don't care what sort of protection equipment uh guardians uh fencing whatever you can't stop a bird from pooping on your property when it flies overhead yeah it's one of those things right so anyways birds are hard um 
And like last I saw, the current recommendation was to keep your hens, like your laying chickens, locked inside a closed building 100% of the time. But you and I know that birds can still get in a closed building. You have it happen all of the time. Well, right, for sure. Yeah, it would have to be completely sealed off, which sounds horrendous. And Um, never opened because the second you open it, somebody's going to fly in. Right. Yeah. And like, that's just not how we do. So it's like one of those things. To me, it's just such a such a big problem that like what are you going to do about it you know what i mean it just kind of is what it is so instead of like freaking out about it tara and i had decided to just be like hey be aware of it and then here's the symptoms you might see in your birds and if you see any of these symptoms in your birds then you know to google bird flu and go from there i guess like that's the best we can do because i don't want to get on here and be like everybody's gonna die this is what you need to do no and you know what like hopefully that doesn't happen if it happens like there's what are you gonna do about it Right. Yeah. So um, sudden death without clinical signs is a... Yes. So now we're going on to symptoms. (laughs) Symptom. (laughs) I couldn't think of the word symptom. Please listen to us. (laughs) Here are some symptoms. This is why you told people to fast forward. (laughs) Who wants to hear this? (laughs) Not me. I don't even want to hear it. I have to talk about it. I don't want to hear it. Good. Here are some symptoms. So sudden death, uh, clinical signs, lack of energy and for appetite. For the birds, for the record. Right. Not uh, the humans. I don't know about humans. I'm not the right. CDC. Okay. So significant degree decrease in water consumption, decreased egg production or soft-shelled or misshapen eggs, swelling of head, comb, eyelid, wattles, and hawks, purple discoloration of wattles, comb, and legs, nasal discharge, coughing, and sneezing. Lastly, incoordination or diarrhea. Now you know. Right. We're done talking about that. I don't want to hear it again. Farm updates. What is happening? Did you read what I put on there? Yes. FML, she (laughs) says. That's literally all that there is under the farm updates category. (laughs) Uh, I don't even know where to start. The other pigs got greasy pigs, so this is day five of treating them. It's a five-day round of shots, not three-day. I don't know why I said three-day on the last podcast, but I know what I'm doing, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. Clearly. And it's really cold here, like insanely cold for the time. So that's not been fun. And then also my cow's milk tastes like cheese. So I had to send a sample off and I don't know what's going on. Yeah, the sample's in the mail right now. No, it's been delivered actually. So they're culturing it probably right now. Good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, I think we spent like hours yesterday being like, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about this? Well, what about that? Trying to figure it out. Um, my best guess is that she's drying off. I guess Dexters can have the tendency to dry off at a certain time faster than just a straight dairy breed. Yeah. So th- that would make sense because the cream is getting higher. Like the cream content is insane right now, but uh, we can't really use it because it tastes like ass. So. Right. <laughs> and right. when they dry off, according to the book by Giannaklis called... What is Caldwell. it? Caldwell. It's Caldwell. been like three episodes since we brought up that book, right, which I'm, so. I'm embarrassed for myself <laughs> that I've let it go this long. And Miss yeah, Caldwell, yeah. I am sorry. We are sorry. She but I did sure read... listens to this nonsense. <laughs> She's like, oh no. <laughs> oh, um, I did read about it and it's more like late lactation. The SCC can go up. So I'm hoping that's the issue. The milk is getting cultured. Um, that's not fun. And also like I'm kind of pissed off. I thought I had a couple more months. I'm hoping that it's not anything bad. The STC might be higher because at the end of lactation, it's normal for the somatic cell counts to go up. Right. So, like, it's good to not panic about that. Nothing's coming back on the CMT. No tracing, no gel. Today, I've been doing it every single morning. Nothing. So, yeah, I'm just kind of at a loss. Yeah, we've really gone over, like, literally every detail. Yeah. That this could possibly be. Yeah. And the lab so, didn't know either from talking no. about it. So we'll see what the test says. Right. And I love this woman because she's like, I'm excited to see them and culture them. And I'm like, right? yes, you're my kind of person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So exactly. we're not drinking it right now. It's really weird to go from having an abundance of milk to no milk, like just yeah. like that. And my son is not having it because he asked for milk last night. And I was like, well, it's different milk. So we gave it to him. No drinks out of it. He tasted it and was like, no. The store bought? Yeah. Yeah. That's how I am. Anytime I have to go through a dry period is it's like... It takes me like a couple weeks to like wean myself back onto it. Yeah. And then it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to buy all the stupid little plastic containers, right? Like yeah. yogurt and cottage cheese and yeah. sour cream. Yay, plastic containers. <laughs> that sends me through the roof whenever I'm in my dry yeah. season. Because I'm like, this is 
why it just it just reminds me how stupid our food system is right don't get me started she's on a tangent i'm already there you're there (laughs) anyway that's all i have for farm updates what about you uh i don't have too terribly much i um oh this is news to you too because last i told you i didn't have the slightest of ideas i found um the spot that i did write it down because i did not write it in my calendar but we put clyde our buck in with the girls on october 16th so 150 days later it's march 15th oh okay okay um, Tara and I were just talking about when I'm going to have baby goats a couple days ago. And I, I told her I had no idea because apparently I didn't write it down. I did write it down. So anyways, usually I put the buck in on the daily twice a day for yeah. like just a couple minutes to see what's happening. But then I observe, <laughs> that sounds like such a weirdo thing to say. Then I watch the mating happen, but then I know exactly when the day yeah. would be, right? Yeah. So there's benefit to that. This year I was pregnant and feeling like zero stars. So I yeah. just put the buck in, which I've never done before. So I have no idea. Truly, other than um, my girls are young and healthy and he's young and healthy. And I I mean, it shouldn't be that far off of that March 15th start date. Yeah. For the next 21 days after that, I should have babies. Everybody yeah. should be done would be my guess. So I found that. But that's, I haven't been doing a lot of outside stuff still. Still just right. in with the baby and just making it through. I My one little task that I do is I go out and take care of the chickens. <laughs> that's like, right. I do it after Brian's home and he's done with his set of chores outside. He comes in, takes kids and I go outside. Right. It's like my one little, little thing I'm doing, but mm-hmm. everybody's doing well. I've been trying to go through as much milk as we can here. We've been preserving a lot. I um, actually need to do another batch of it. I freeze dried a month. My kid and I eat a ton of yogurt. Yeah. And that's like what I'm looking for forward to the least as far as the dry season is not having that homemade yogurt yeah and so anyways I made gallons of it (laughs) gallons of it and freeze-dried it because her and I will go through a gallon's worth of milk a week yeah easily so I freeze-dried it so that'll get us through one month of the dry season and then I gotta do that again to get through two months yeah so in theory as long as this yogurt thing works out I'll have Freeze-dried milk, yogurt, just freeze-dried, and we'll just yeah. rehydrate it. So did that, and I've been, I think I talked about this last time, but we cleaned out the freezer, and so I've been making chicken broth with the bags of broth ingredients that I had in there. Mm-hmm. Making and canning and making and canning and making and canning, and that's really all I've been doing. Yes. Yeah. That's so. a lot. It is. It's just, and you know what, it's, I can get kind of stir-crazy and frustrated because I want to get out there and do stuff, but truly, we still have feet of snow on the ground. There's nothing yeah. to do. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's a, that holding pattern. Yeah, the out there and doing stuff is not not happening. So anyways, we'll be starting seeds before too long. That'll probably be my next obsession would be my right. guess. Anyhow, we already mentioned this week that we are talking about milk fever and ketosis. So before we get into this topic, there's like a couple things I want to go over. We are talking about a veterinarian topic. Right. We are not veterinarians. No. We're not your veterinarians. Listen to us. And then ask your veterinarian. Right. Do not make veterinarian choices based on our non-veterinarian information. Yes. Because we are not practicing veterinary medicine without a license. That is not what we are doing here. No. So <laughs> that's number one. Number two, I'm going to tell you before we get into this, the top resources I like to use when I'm looking at veterinary information um, in general is my favorite is the Merck Veterinary Manual. And this is scientific content. It's well, well researched and very in depth. Um, it has a tendency to kind of be over my head a lot of times. I'll find myself yeah. where I have to look up a lot of the words as I'm reading because it'll it'll use some some ridiculous word for something that's very simple. You yeah. know what I mean? But it's for veterinarians, written by veterinarians, right? It's like a it's in depth. This is not a blog. This book is a doozy, um, like three thousand plus pages. Sort yeah, of a doozy. Similar to a Bible in like the paperweight and font. It's a big book and it's expensive. It's 60 bucks. So yeah. that sucks. I have one. I love it. I would never not have one with that being said. <laughs> do you have the I'm cover on a it? giant nerd. Yes, the cover is on this one. <laughs> I do not let my dog eat this book. Um, so one time I shipped Tara a book on calving because she was nervous about calving and it has no cover on it because the dog ate it. It's still right next to my bed too. And every time I see it, it makes me laugh. So <laughs> light reading yeah. before you go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Good. If you don't want to spend the $60, the website, the Merck veterinarian website 
has a ton of information. It's, it really is the book, um, but it's online. Yeah. And it's free. 100% free to use. Yeah. The website also has um, <laughs> really fun veterinarian quizzes if you're a giant nerd. Yay. <laughs> like have you me. taken one yet? Yes. They're so fun. <laughs> they're like, I mean, like a lot of them are like a couple questions or one question pops up or whatever. But it's I like, love that have, people take Disney ones. Right. What Disney princess am I? And Stephanie's no, like, I'm doing case studies over yes. here. <laughs> We're different people. Yeah, we are different people. <laughs> the other cool thing about the website too, is it has videos for a lot of the situations yeah. like ketosis. There's a video that kind of breaks down ketosis. It has like visuals and helps you understand it quicker and easier. So that's cool. Lastly, I just found out that there's an app, Bomb Diggity app. It really has everything in it and it's absolutely free. It has the whole book in there. It has mm. videos, it has calculators. You can download content so that when you're in the barn with no service, you have it right there. It's really cool. That's 100% awesome. Free. Anyways, um, we're not sponsored by them. We're just passionate idiots. So um, <laughs> They give away most of their stuff for free, so right. I don't think they have the money to just sponsor us. But They're not sponsoring us to nerd out over them. So. No. Um, anyhow, another resource that I have is the Cattle Health Handbook by Heather Smith Thomas, and it's a stories guidebook. I find that a lot of times the stories guidebooks are really good, like launching points. Yeah. Um, they're, they're written very simply and very easy to understand. They can kind of have a tendency to be fairly basic, but sometimes you, like we say all the time, you just need to get your feet wet to know what, what questions to ask. And so it's a great book for that. Sometimes if I find myself struggling with the uh, medical terminology and stuff in the Merck, I'll circle back to that. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. And yeah. Anyways, those are the two main resources we used for these this information. Um, we've got a whole bunch of links in our show notes too. But So we're going to cover milk fever first. So what is milk fever? Milk fever is also called hypocalcemia and also called perturient paresis and is a metabolic disorder classified by insufficient levels of calcium. And it generally occurs in the first 24 hours post-calving, but can show up even two to three days later as well, up to like five days. Milk fever is most common in cows that are large producers of milk. It's also more common in older cows, so like third calving or more, because this is their peak production. If you've ever seen graphs that show when cows produce their best milk, the most milk that they'll ever produce in their lifetime, it's about the third calving fourth calving yeah. and fifth calving after that it kind of goes back down so that would make sense as to why milk fever happens during these times in a cow's lifetime and the Merrick vet manual states that incident is higher in channel island breeds and if you're unfamiliar with what channel island breeds are they are cattle breeds that were developed in the islands between england and france specifically for dairy so jersey and Guernsey, Guernsey specifically. Yeah. Yes. Just because your cow is not a Jersey or Guernsey doesn't mean that they can't get that. Yeah. Like, it's just higher incident in those Ask breeds. me how I know. Well, she's part Jersey. Yeah, she is part Jersey. But yeah. she acts like a full ass Jersey, I guess. Right. <laughs> so, Super Jersey. <laughs> all Jersey. Under normal circumstances, the cow obtains calcium from her diet or from her stores in her bones. And there's a lot of calcium available there. But the absorption of calcium from the intestines and the reabsorption of calcium from the bones is under strict control by hormones and even by the presence of other minerals like magnesium and phosphorus and vitamins like D, vitamin D. For my cow, phosphorus wasn't high enough when we ran a blood panel and that's what caused milk fever like because they kind of need to be both all of them need to be in a good level and her phosphorus levels were way low. Yeah, if you don't have magnesium and phosphorus, it doesn't matter if the calcium's there or not. They can't right. absorb it. It can't absorb, absorb it. it. Yeah. Right. So when the cow calves, like lactation begins with the production of colostrum. So the cow's requirement for calcium increases 400% in a single day. To make up for this, it is essential that the cow's body participates in absorption and resorption of calcium at quite high levels to compensate. So anything that interferes with the result in a lower calcium blood concentrate level and therefore milk fever. The sudden decrease in blood volume levels causes hyperexcitability of the nervous system and reduces strength in muscle contractions, resulting in both tetany, tetany, right? Yeah, tetany. So this is one of those things that was in the Merck manual that I had to look up. Tetany yeah. just means intermittent muscle spasms. Yeah. They shake like they're kind of like cold, yeah. it looks like. And paresis, which is muscular weakness or partial paralysis. Yeah. Um, and that is definitely the case. It's really scary to see newly freshened cow come into the stanchion and just fall. Yeah. And just 
go out. It's so scary. So scary. And immediate action needs to be taken if that's the case. Right. So there's um, a couple different types of milk fever, actually, that we need to know about. And basically, we're just talking about clinical milk fever and subclinical milk fever. Both of them are classified as having a blood calcium level less than 7.5 mg per deciliter, whereas normal range is 8.5 to 10 mg per deciliter. And clinical milk fever is the big scary one in, in one respect. But with proper nutritional management, the risk is lowered to 1% of cows get it. According to the University of Minnesota, subclinical milk fever has been reported to affect as many as 73% of animals in the third or greater lactation, which is a ton. Yeah. A ton, a ton, a ton. And the thing with clinical, I guess I didn't do a very good job of labeling what these actually are. Clinical milk fever, clinical just means that there's actual symptoms that you can Sorry, my baby's still here, if you can hear him grunting in the background. <laughs> clinical means symptoms, subclinical means asymptomatic, no symptoms. Yeah. So they look like they're just fine. So when you say that 73% of cows have subclinical milk fever, that's insane. Yeah, it's a high number. The majority is experiencing it. Yeah, and you don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's risk factors that are associated with both different types as well. For clinical, you have a higher risk of dystocia. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. It's the same which, in humans. Yeah, which is just prolonged or difficult labor. Uterine prolapse, retained placenta, mastitis, and displaced abdomen, which is in cows, it's just that's their true stomach is what they call the abdomen. Subclinical, then you have a higher risk of decreased milk production, decreased immune function, increased risk of ketosis, or decreased reproductive performance and an increased chance of being removed early from the herd. So symptoms are something that you want to look out for because this is really serious when it gets going. And it's like an avalanche, like one snowball falls and then the rest of them kind of keep going. There are three stages. So stage one is cow is able to walk but shows signs of hypersensitivity and excitability. And cows may be mildly ataxic, so uncoordinated movements, which is what I noticed. And they have fine tremors over the flanks and triceps, which is also something that I noticed. And they display ear twitching and head bobbing. So these are something that you might not notice if you have 20 cows and your cow is showing signs of it, but you have no recollection or you're not sure, like because you can kind of lose track of them. Anyway. Right. I'm going to jump in really quick. Because if you're not a regular listener of ours, you would have no idea. Tara's cow last year had milk fever and ketosis. Yes. So it's like, yeah, just so when, yeah, you keep saying like, I noticed that, but that's what you're talking about is your firsthand experience. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so yeah, she... No, that's okay. Most people probably know that, but... Maybe, yeah. So milk fever, the problem with it is once you have milk fever, the chances of having ketosis are incredibly high. Yeah. Especially we'll if you there. have yeah. a high producer, but just something to keep an eye out for. So... Cows may appear restless, like shuffling their rear feet and bellowing. And just to note, when my cow had milk fever, I was able to catch it because I noticed that she was hunched. So she had like kind of a bend in her spine and she was hanging her head low. And then her flanks were shaking just a little. Like it would have been easily missed if I weren't out there and watching her like a hawk. Right. So this is a great time to catch it and intervene because stage two is when they're unable to stand but can remain sternal. And sternals like, go ahead. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. Sternals like when they're up on their brisket. Mm -hmm. So when their spine is pointing towards the sky. Yes. As opposed to if a cow was laying flat out on its side with its head on the ground. Oh, yeah. Sternals like when they lay upright with their head up and looking at you, right? Yeah. Making sense? Uh huh. Maybe their spine isn't totally towards the sky. That's maybe a wrong way to say it. Okay. Their spine is slightly to the left or right. Just okay. like laying normally. They can lay normal. So there's lessened level of alertness or consciousness, no appetite, dry muzzle, low body temp. This is one that you really should be paying attention to. Cold extremities. So if you're not feeling your cow's ears, then what are you even doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> After they calve, do you right. feel I'm like a crazy person? <laughs> well, not unless I'm seeing other symptoms, but yeah, yeah it's a good test. And I'm surprised you're going to go over this. You're not going to throw in your sponsored laser thermometer? <laughs> I never used it for this. Really? This no, because I could get so close to her, I could just take a regular temperature. Well, I bought I bought the laser thermometer years before I was ever making soap. Yeah. For testing extremity temperatures. Yeah. 
Anyways, take your soap supplies out there. <laughs> and they will have tachycardia and decreased intensity of heart sounds. Smooth muscle paralysis means less in GI action. And this can lead to bloat, failure to defecate, and loss of anal sphincter tone. They also tend to lose the ability to urinate. And they often have their heads tucked into their flanks, or if the head is extended, an S-shaped curve to the neck will be seen. And you'll, if you Google milk fever, they're going to show you a picture of what that is. Yeah, that's hard to describe, but it would be like if you were standing at their tail, looking straight up to their ears in the neck, you'll see an S. But yeah, yeah if you're at all concerned about it, look look it up because it's a hard thing to describe visually or audio, audioly, audioly, audio <laughs> cool. on an audio platform. <laughs> And then stage three is when a cow loses consciousness to the point of a coma. They're unable to remain sternum and they will be laid out flat like Steph was saying. You don't want complete muscle flaccidity, unresponsive to stimuli, severe bloat is possible. Heart rate worsens to up to 120 beats per minute and many only survive a couple hours in this stage. Yeah, it's not good. So treatment, again, if this isn't obvious, this is an emergency situation and you absolutely need to get your veterinarian in contact with you. Hopefully you have one. I yeah. recognize how frustrating that is to say, just call the vet. Um, because for me, that's not an option, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that it's not an option. When we tell you to just call your veterinarian, it's more covering our butts than anything. So, but if you have a veterinarian, that's, that's absolutely what you should be doing. Right. And I have one. Yeah. That you have a great one. Yeah. She came out twice to do these treatments. Yeah. Where Steph, I don't know what I, you would, would do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the option. Yeah. yeah. If, if anything, I would hopefully be able to meet the veterinarian for medications. Yeah. Maybe. Right. If they were in town. And if I At had somebody same else call for me. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> and drive a long ways. It's a whole ordeal. So, but again, we're not veterinarians. So that's all. We already kind of went into that. So in clinical cases, the best treatment is typically an IV injection of calcium gluconate salt. And most of the time, this is a one dose, 500 milliliter bottle containing eight to 11 grams of calcium in large, heavy producers. It may be advised to give a second bottle of this subcutaneously as that's thought to be more of a slow release method. So the, the first bottle hits them hard IV subcutaneous would slow release. Many of these solutions of calcium already have magnesium and phosphorus added to them. If they don't, your vet may decide to dose with specifically magnesium in particular, as it's critical to the absorption of calcium. It's also helpful in lessening the myocardial irritation. So heart irritation caused by the calcium. And here's the deal with calcium though, is it is toxic to the heart. So this is one reason why your vet will be in charge of this treatment. Um, they do have for... to do it really slow and they have the knowledge to know where to hold the bottle and what time to do it. Like it's a very complicated thing. Yeah. The, yeah. So they typically will administer it slowly, like 10 to 20 minute span. Yeah. But the whole time they're doing it, they should be monitoring the heart and making exactly. adjustments quickly as necessary yeah. to that dosing. So cows do usually respond to the IV treatment immediately. Um, and tremors can have, like, it seems like they're going backwards, but tremors can happen as muscle gains re or regains control, right? So if the muscle was completely gone before you'll start to see tremors. Uh, but that's actually a good sign if you have yeah. a down cow. And the heart rate can slow and intensity increases. In about 75% of the cows that are down and get this treatment, they'll stand within two hours usually. If they don't stand in 48 hours, another treatment might be necessary. And it is important to note that of the cows that respond to the initial treatment, 25 to 30% of them are going to relapse in another 24 to 48 hours. That was my experience as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that's just a very touch-and-go thing for a long time. Not milking her out all the way may be advised as well. Um, again, milk is a supply and demand issue, so this tells the body to slow milk production and therefore slow the robbing of the calcium, which would in turn raise her blood calcium level again. So it's not advised, though, to give subclinical cows the IV treatments. It's been observed that this can actually cause long-term lowered levels of blood calcium even after significantly after the sensitive period for milk fever. So be sure not to do that. Oral calcium is also an option. It does avoid the cardiotoxic effects, but it's also less effective. So it's better suited for subclinical cases than clinical cases. And these oral options come in huge tubes and require a dosing gun. Think like a caulking tube and gun. It looks very similar to that. Yeah. Um, some people utilize 
Bulbacalc, which is essentially just giant pills that require a special balling gun. These pills are given prior to calving and then again 12 hours after calving. We've seen people cause injuries to soft tissue of the cow with these and lead to other problems which of the cow not eating, which can cause ketosis, which it's just a whole thing. So please use caution with these tools and methods. And some of the like just general calcium tubes, um, some of them contain calcium chloride, which is caustic to the oral tissue. Right. cause irritation and prolonged use. So it'll essentially give them a sore throat. Another note about oral calcium is that cows with milk fever also are often have poor swallowing reflexes because again, that's that smooth tissue is in often stages of paralysis. So you have to be really careful. Like you need to be extra, extra, extra sure that the cow is able to swallow. And then you have to be extra sure not to get in her airways, which can cause aspiration pneumonia. So it's, it's one of those things where the treatments, every treatment option that's available has a significant con it with does. it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really a dance. Um, so say you have a heifer and it's her first time calf and you're like, well, I got all this stuff for milk fever. I better treat her before she has her calf. There's absolutely no reason to do it because yeah. the, I mean, the risk, there hardly is any risk with a heifer, not to say it's not possible, but like you're probably going to do more harm than good. So you really have to like read the situation. Right. So prevention, that's pretty much why you're all here, right? I hope. And the best way to prevent milk fever is through diet. And through our history with treating milk fever, the methods of diet and what to supplement and what to avoid has changed over time. This is just one of those things like cholesterol. As they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for you. Right. It's one of those things, except, you know, milk fever is pretty serious. So currently the recommendation is to lower the blood pH prior to calving and through the postpartum stage. Feeding a low potassium diet or forages through the pre-freshening period can result in a DCAD. Dietary cation anion difference. This is, well, this is where I can take a little bit of this too, because this is where it gets like kind of nerdy and sciencey, but I feel like sometimes it helps to understand or at least listen to it once as to why something is going on. And then if you forget it, you forget it, but it just kind of makes it feel more comfortable to me. But low potassium forages through the prefessioning period can result in a DCAD, which is a dietary cation ion difference, which in turn causes acid forming response in the cow. Why do we want an acid forming response in the cow? Because it can lower the blood pH. So all you need to know there really is potassium lowers the blood pH. There's mechanisms in between as to why, if you care, the Merck manual goes all the way into detail. (laughs) A low potassium diet may not be enough, in which case you can use anionic salts. And monitoring how this diet is working, particularly if you are using anionic anionic salts, is important. So the easiest way is through pH testing of the urine. That should be in the 6.0 to 6.5 range. But here's the thing. This can get really complicated if you can't tell. So if you want your head to like explode, read the Merrick Manual on Prevention. And it goes into the specific chemical reactions happening inside of a specific biochemical pathway. And it's all really cool stuff if you are into biochemistry, but who is into that? Stephanie is. (laughs) A little bit. And so you can say, okay, I don't care about the how. I will just feed low potassium and call it good. Well, how do you do that anyway? What has potassium and what doesn't? And as it turns out, we don't know. (laughs) This is one of those things. I spent 80% of my time making this outline on trying to figure out what has potassium and what doesn't. Right. There's no answer. That's the problem with everything cattle there's like so much gray area well right so like yeah i fully expected to be able to be like okay yeah alfalfa has a lot of potassium don't feed that or grain has a lot of potassium don't feed that right but like there's no right really the only way to know is to test your hay and read your grain levels right and like and some grain can be less potassium than some hay right and vice versa so really what it came down to was like the time of cutting the soil contents fertilizer fertilizer too it can all and i'll say say you and i both grow alfalfa yeah right your alfalfa may have a potassium content of 100 and mine would have a potassium content of three like it really doesn't have so many variables yeah it doesn't have a lot to do with the the food it's more of the how the food got the condition yeah mm -hmm. if you like my best advice if you do have the ability to control your hay production that's awesome (laughs) 
head over to the link in our show notes because the University of Wisconsin Extension has a really good page on it with a ton of info for the specifics, like literally like how high to cut the alfalfa. It's pretty cool. Yeah. However, if you don't have control over that, it can leave you feeling pretty helpless. I don't have control over my hay. Tara, you don't have control over your hay. So my takeaway that I got from this article that that was something that I felt like I did, I could potentially have control over was that grasses that are cut at a mature stage have less potassium, right? It's like the only thing I can do to look at my hay with my eyeballs and figure it out. So for me, um, I'll be looking through my hay because we got hay from different people, from different cuttings, from different areas of different fields. And I'll be selecting bales that have seeds in them because if the grass made it to the seed point, then it's mature. Yeah. Right. That's like, for me, that's all I feel like I can do. Right. To try and figure out what has potassium or not in it. Another option that some people take is to dose their cows with oral calcium as a preventative measure. And the advice given here is typically to dose 12 hours before calving and immediately after calving and then another 12 hours post calving. And we couldn't find anything that validated through veterinary channels, but there seems to be anecdotal evidence for this method. And just keep in mind the risks the risks associated with oral calcium and also consider your cow's particular risks. Like we talked about which calving this is and what your cow's breed is and her history with milk fever. With all that being said, if your cow has a history of milk fever and you are concerned, develop a relationship with your local large animal vet and get their magnet. Just put it on your fridge. And in my case, I have a great working relationship with a vet and we come up with a plan prior to calving. So if it's a few weeks out, I just text her, hey, this is when she's due. Can you be available or can I just contact you? And she's like, yeah, sure. Just text me. It's great. And I realize that everyone doesn't have that. Yeah. I think you're one of the minorities. Yes. In large animal anyways. There are a lot of people that do have vets that they can drive to if they're close. Yeah. So just keep your options open. Like look for somebody who you can work with. And to keep these vets locally, you need to have them over to your farm for checkups. You need to be able to support them financially, not just emergencies. Yeah. Support your local vets and they're going to support you better. Yeah. And I will say too, like one of our vets here is a small animal vet and she recognizes the lack of help for large animals in the area. And I can, she can a lot of times be like, okay, what support do you need? Yeah. And be like, okay, I need this. And she's like, great, come get it. So yeah. If, if it really is a situation where you don't have a large animal, try it just ex- like try establishing with a small animal vet in your yes. area and be like, this is a situation. Is there any I know way what we can I need. work together? Yeah. yeah. And they have to be careful because legally they can't just hand you medication without seeing your animal. So you guys may have to figure something out there, but it's, right. it's been surprising to me that sometimes the small animal vets, they get it. They know. Right. Yeah. And here are just a couple of things that I'm going to keep on hand. Human enemas. Why? Because they contain phosphorus, which is what my cow was particularly low on, according to the labs done on her blood. So I will be purchasing sodium phosphate enemas containing, I mean, they're essentially human enemas. But funny thing, my vet had to get the panel on the blood, run to my town, go to the drugstore, pick up the entirety of these human enemas at the drugstore, (laughs) all of them. All of the human enemas to bring back and dose her with orally. Yeah. But it worked. I'm So I'm keeping those on hand just to save her the embarrassment if it's like 12 a.m. And we need to do that. So something that I'll keep on hand. And I will always have the milk fever calcium tubes on hand because she does have a history of this. I don't absolutely love how they can irritate the soft tissues in their mouth and throat because that can cause ketosis because they don't want to eat when that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if they are going down that hill of milk fever, it's better to use it than not have it. Yeah. Good to use if you're going down that hill. And then you can get the drench drench as well. And they show you on YouTube how to drench a cow. That is well above my pay grade. It's scary (laughs) if you do it wrong. So I don't do it that way. What I did do with the CMPK drench is just put a cup of it on top of her grain. And that worked great because you can't really taste it. It's just like a really good top dressing if you have it on hand that was our rambling on milk fever before we go too much further if you have any questions on milk fever that you feel like we might be able to help you with again we're not veterinarians send it our way we're happy to do our best nice to bounce ideas off of other cattle people um 
I don't even consider myself a cattle person. But the problem with the boards is that you'll get somebody who literally knows somebody that their cow had milk fever once and they, I don't know, used rainbow pudding to cure their milk fever. Yeah. That's a problem with boards. So absolutely talk to your vet first. Don't just go off of somebody's random grandpa's advice from 70 years ago. Like, yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. It's hard. Always, yeah. It's, and sometimes that's all you have is right. those forums and stuff or Facebook groups, but it's, yeah, try and get yourself a Merck manual, send us an email. <laughs> all right. So on to ketosis. So what is ketosis? The pathogenesis of ketosis is not very well understood. <laughs> starting, starting <laughs> off on a good spot. Strong, strong. So, <laughs> however, they do know, and, and this can be hard to follow. So Tara, if you are confused at any point, I know you have experience, but if I, something I'm saying is not making sense, step in. Okay. Because I rewrote this like six times to be like, yeah, yeah. does that make any sense? What they do know is that it requires intense fat mobilization, which is caused by a negative energy balance, and high glucose demand, which is caused by milk production, both of which are present in early lactation. So early lactation in the case of ketosis, we consider to be six weeks post-calving. Intense fat mobilization is accompanied by high blood concentrations of non-esterified fatty acids, or NEFAs, during periods of intense glucose generation, a large portion of these NEFAs are directed to the production of ketones inside of the liver. It's just one thing leads to another. Now you have ketones in the liver. Yeah. The prevalence of ketone or the prevalence of ketosis in cattle is seven to fourteen percent. So fairly low, all things it is. considered. Cows with a three point seven five or greater body condition score at the time of calving are of higher risk. And if you're not sure what body condition score your cow has, there's a great tool to find that out um, by Penn State Extension, and that'll be in the show notes, and we encourage you to look at that. So this is a tool that you should use throughout the year on all of your cattle so that you can catch a potential problem early before it becomes a huge problem. And I know that you and I were freaked out by skinnier cows, yeah. but you have to understand, I experienced this firsthand. An obese cow is almost more dangerous than a skinny cow. Yeah. And the, I mean, like the funny thing is about it is that I'm neurotic about this with dogs. Yeah. Like I worked in the dog industry for so long and people just like, oh, I just love her so much, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm going to yeah, feed her all the pancakes in the morning. Right. right. For whatever reason, when it comes to livestock, I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, well, they're outside. Yeah. I think that's it. That's yeah. probably it. Exactly. You think they're cold. They're not because they're mm-hmm. ruminating animals. So they produce yeah. a lot of heat. And but... then when I went into cow, cause yeah, I had like horses. And anyways, when I went into cows, Beef cows, you want big. And then dairy cows, it was like, oh my gosh, she's starving. Yeah. Because they, they, they look, look quote unquote awful compared to right like a horse. So you're not supposed to see the bones on. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. So please consult that. Don't. Yeah. And then here's what out. I ran into is before we got our vet that understood dairy animals, I had another vet out to do some like disease testing on my cow because I just got her. Mm-hmm. She's half beef, half dairy. So half yeah. Dexter half dairy and she he was saying that she's too skinny i needed to fatten her up so i did not knowing that he had no experience in dairy cattle absolutely none and that's what caused all of these issues because when doctor the doctor that i see now the veterinarian saw her she said oh my gosh she's too fat it's like well the other vet and she's like no you can't do that with dairy cattle and she needs to be carrying her weight more like a jersey so that's kind of it's just one of those things like if your vet doesn't have experience in dairy cattle, maybe do some more research. Yeah. And it is, um, having like yours is the hardest, I think. It is. The, yeah. Having that mix of beef, beef in there. Cross, yeah. Right. It's not as clear cut. They carry weight so much differently than other dairy breeds and all the resources are for dairy breeds. So yeah, if you have a cross like that, you are going to have a harder time knowing what's right, but all you can do is look at the references that are provided and try your best. Yes. That's all you yeah, can do. It is hard. Um, and cows with more freshenings are at higher risk. So again, like that third calving and on cows who have had milk fever and are slightly larger than they should be are also at higher risk due to the fact that milk fever can make them feel queasy and they do not want to eat, especially again, if you're using that oral calcium too. Yeah. It does burn their soft tissues. It's just not a good feeling. Have you ever eaten like something really hot and your mouth hurts? Yeah. You don't want to eat anything. Yeah. Or you Same like applies right. yeah, yep. to the cow. Yep. So yeah, when they don't want to eat, the likelihood of ketosis is increased. And from there, it's just an uphill battle. This was my surprise fact of the podcast. Specific genetic markers have been identified in terms of risk of ketosis as well. 
suggesting that it is in fact hereditary. No, don't say that. No, Mm -hmm. no. That's straight from Merck. So I trust it. Yeah. I know. I didn't know that. I'm hoping that with Daisy, since she's mostly Dexter, like she's one fourth Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that it's not going to be an issue because she's been a dream to lead around and I'm really Mm -hmm. excited to milk her. Yeah. So hopefully it's not hereditary in her case. (laughs) Yeah, Cross your you'll fingers. just have to keep it in mind when you're prepping oh, for, for it. Oh, for sure. That's all, yeah. I, think. So, I mean, like, and that's that's it, right? If you know the mom had ketosis, then right. you just know to be watching. That's like, yeah. that's a huge piece. That's a huge step up, I think. And if you're buying a cow, maybe ask, ask. hey, did your yeah. mom have ketosis? Is there a history of ketosis? For sure. And would that turn me away from buying a heifer? No, I don't think so. No, you just would know to look. To yeah, and you important. can be prepared. Yes. Yes. Have the supplies on hand. Um, and then this was kind of interesting too. They're also, um, they've also appreciated a higher risk with cows that remain open longer between yeah. calvings. Yeah. So if they're not pregnant, they're getting fat. That's why. Yeah. And I think like from my little homesteader perspective, before I started into dairy cows, it's like, I really thought that I was going to get a cow and breed her every couple years because yeah. you hear stories of cows staying in milk for that long. Right. And like, we don't need a lot of milk. So who cares about having right. pot production? And that gives her body a break. And like, you know, it just sounded it like I was being nicer way. to her yeah. by not breeding her. And that's not really the case. Yeah. On TikTok, I've been trying to educate that people on that subject because it's literally bad for them to be yeah. open too long. It's right. not good for them. Yeah. Nobody can understand that. Oh, they're pregnant forever. They hate it. No, cows right. love to be pregnant. They're right. so good when they're pregnant. They're better at it. Yes. Yep. Okay, so there are types of ketosis that you need to be aware of. Type 1 ketosis occurs close to the time of peak milk production, usually between four to six weeks. And it's typically more commonly caused by being underfed and having a shortage of glucose precursors rather than the excessive fat mobilization. And then type 2 ketosis usually happens one to two weeks postpartum. These cases are typically associated with fatty liver. So fatty liver disease is what you need to look into if you have a larger cow. And it's another metabolic condition that tends to go hand in hand with ketosis and an overweight cow. Both conditions tend to be more associated with the intense mobilization of fat. Subclinical ketosis occurs as well. This is similar to subclinical milk fever in that the cows do in fact have ketosis but do not show symptoms. There are a few symptoms like their breath will kind of be stinky like airplane uh, fuel something that's very niche and specific. I don't know how many people have smelled airplane fuel, but you'll notice that their breath is off. And then also the milk will kind of have a fishy smell to it. That's like subclinical ketosis, very early signs. Cows with subclinical ketosis are at increased risk of clinical ketosis, displaced abomasum and metritis. So they are also less fertile and have decreased milk production. Yeah. And so the symptoms, um, This can look like nothing in a lot of things, so get ready. The first sign, though, is a lack of appetite or not eating well. And they'll usually give up their grain before they give up their hay. Yeah. Which is kind of Unheard of. Yeah, exactly. If that's happening, then you should be thinking ketosis right away. That's very rare. Yeah, Yeah. it's a weird, that's a weird thing. Um, They'll have a reduced milk production, lethargy, an empty appearing abdomen. um, And those are all early symptoms as well. And it's stark seeing... Uh, especially an obese cow, have an empty appearing abdomen. It's just like night and day. It'll just happen so fast that they yeah, have that. Yeah, if you have the obese. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say these, but I want you guys to keep in mind the central nervous system signs are very much so less prevalent. Very few cows actually have these. So if you notice the other things and say, oh, well, they're not doing the rest, throw it out, okay? Yeah. Um, but they can have abnormal licking and chewing incoordination, aggression, and bellowing. And that aggression component, like we always say to be careful, but if you think that they have ketosis, just be on your toes knowing that that could be coming as well. Yeah. So with my cow, I just noticed that she was hunching, like there was a curve in her back. She acted very drunk. That's one of the classic symptoms of ketosis is they act drunk. They fall a lot. They can't walk in a straight line. That's more of the, um, uh, the central nervous system ones though. I think that's pretty rare. Like you just had the rare case. Okay. Yeah. But it's like, if that happens, that's like red flag. Yeah. And their breath will be stinky, like airplane fuel. Milk is stinky like fish after only a few days in the container. And her eyes started doing this weird thing where they couldn't focus. And they were like, how would you say? It's like darting back and forth. Like she couldn't focus. Yeah. It looked like she was having a seizure just in her eyeballs. 
And it's very, very rare. That's very rare. The vet yeah. was kind of stumped by it because um, it's a sign for other things that are neurological. Yeah. But if you do have that, it's something that you need to get your vet there right away. Humans and cows just present differently in sicknesses. So just if you think something's wrong, do something. Yeah, for sure. And the diagnosis is really just looking at all of the factors again, because ketosis can have very mild symptoms to like hardly noticeable symptoms. So you just want to look at all of the factors, like the body condition score is a huge one. The point in the lactation. So if she's at the beginning of the lactation, that's another sign, clinical signs, and also, um, a ketone body test can be done in the urine, milk, or blood. And the best on-farm testing method is actually a handheld device that tests the blood for BHB, which is beta hydroxybutyrate concentrations. These are utilized more by, by dairies that have a lot more cows. I don't yeah. have one of these devices. I don't Jared either. Doesn't have one either. The vet doesn't even have one. Right. Um, they're a great, a great unit. If you have a lot of cows or are concerned about it. Yeah. They're like incredibly accurate. And also if you're like, have a herd that's having a lot of subclinical cases, like big dairy test, all of their cows regardless yeah. of if they have symptoms or not. They do make and sell strips that you can get that either test um, urine or blood. Nope. Yeah. Urine or milk. Milk, yes. But they're specific. So you don't use the same strip to test both, right? So just look at it. The thing about these are um, they are semi-quantitative. So the observer um, will match the color of the stick to a color chart. Yeah. Um, Purple like is bad. Is what you like need to pH, know. pH test. <laughs> yeah. Um, which means you're not going to be getting numbers. No. So anyways, and, but here's the thing, both the milk and urine tests are really quite reasonably accurate. The biggest thing that people mess up on is you have to pay really particular attention as to when to read the results. The directions are going to tell you, I think the urine one is like two to five seconds or something. And the, the milk, milk one is like 20 minute, seconds. Or, no, it's a minute and 20 seconds. You're welcome. A minute and 20. Okay. <laughs> it's um, like burned into my brain, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, but if you read the urine one at 30 seconds, it's going to tell you something entirely different. So just, yeah. just be really, really certain you're getting the right, the right directions for the right test. Ask Tara how she knows if you're in a pinch on a Friday afternoon, have no clue what to do. You can get the human ketosis strips as well. They're for urine. Yeah. Uh, for Yeah. But they're, they're a diabetic supply thing and, and a lot of places will carry them. Yeah. So for treatment, the goal is to return the blood glucose back to normal, which will decrease the blood ketone body concentrations. One common method is to give 50% dextrose IV. This is usually only temporary though, especially when coach ketosis is caused by something underlying, meaning relapse is pretty common. And if your cow has it pretty bad, that means your vet's going to make several trips to see your cow. Another option is dosing with glucord. Why do you do this to me? (laughs) What other word would you like me to use there? (laughs) Another option is dosing with glucocorticoids. Glucocorticoids. Okay, that, which usually gives a more sustained response. And propylene glycol is a glucose precursor and can be given orally and daily. It is effective, but an an overdose can cause CNS depression, so you have to be careful. There are excellent directions on the bottle. You can contact your vet and have them tell you what to do too. Consult your vet and know if your cow has a history of ketosis because there are ways that you can use it as a top dressing if your cow has a history of ketosis like the directions on the bottle i'm telling you they're great and there's also support for administering a b12 vitamin as an adjunct treatment with the oral drenching this is what we did for dixie too and reducing milking to once a day will help slow down the use of glucose too which will help them regain regain balance faster although there are risks to decreasing milking which you will have to weigh i did have mastitis in her back quarters because I simply wasn't able to milk her because she is also nursing her calf. And for most of us in a homestead scale, it's more important to keep the cow alive than keep milk production high. So the choice is typically easy. Like I just really had to weigh out the risks and we did get the mastitis cleared up. So um, don't think it's the end of the world. If any of these things happen, it's not. Yeah. And dextrose, just so you're aware, can make the cow make less milk, which is good in this case. Right. Less demand. Yes. So prevention. Again, this goes back to nutritional management. Um, It's so, so important, especially pre-calving. You really want to keep your cow in good body condition. We, like we were talking about, just have the tendency to overfeed. And I feel like especially when 
um, they're pregnant because we just want to make sure she has all that she needs to make that baby and on and on and yeah. on. It's just not the best way. So when it comes to supervising the body condition score, this was interesting and I didn't um, know this, but it is, it's very important. So when you're looking at the body condition score, the most important time is during late lactation. And that's when they frequently get too fat. They're not producing nearly as much milk as they were. You're typically feeding them everything that you've always been feeding them. So if they're getting too fat, you can shift the body from fattening to milk production by increasing the energy supply from fiber and reducing it from starch. So the dry period is actually too late to work on the body condition. And this is kind of the big important part right here is that reducing the body score during the dry period, especially at the end of it, can actually have a counterproductive or can be counterproductive and result in excess fat mobilization prepartum because the body like overcorrects yeah. in that way, if that makes any sense. The body's like, oh man, I haven't had enough. I haven't had enough. Dump it all, you know? And then yeah. they can send themselves into ketosis that way. So cows do have a natural tendency to cut back in feed intake in the last three weeks of pregnancy. I don't really know why they evolved to do that, but they just do it. There's just no room in those four stomachs. Yeah, that's probably that cast is what stretching it is. out. But it's like... This is when you need the feed, girlfriends. Anyway, yeah. you should work towards minimizing that. Like they will find any reason not to eat nearly as much. But so look to any stressors that might give her a reason not to eat, such as empty feed bunks, competition, disruption to the herd, whatever it may be, and do whatever it takes to keep her eating, especially during this period of time. And just looking back, this is absolutely the case for Dixie. She started to eat a lot less and being very picky, which is very unusual for her. And that was a definite sign that she probably was in ketosis at the last last stage of her pregnancy. Or gearing up for it. Yeah. Yeah. So after calving, diets should promote rapid and sustained increase in energy or in feed and energy. So this is relatively high in carbs. Be sure to maintain enough fiber, though, to keep her her room and healthy. Like you can't yeah. just go to just feeding her straight grain, for example. So there is some evidence that suggests that adding supplements, including niacin, yeast products, and rumen protected choline may be helpful. To be effective though, you should feed them the last two to three weeks of pregnancy all the way through the six weeks of the ketosis risk after calving. Right. And just some things to have on hand for ketosis, propylene glycol. And if your cow is on her third or fourth calving, just get it. If you never use it, that's great. But again, it's better to have it on hand than not because it's one of those weird things that nobody else sells. And next, go to your feed store and get an oral syringe for livestock. Just get several. They're cheap and easy to keep on hand. It. I don't know. Do most people know what that is? Well, are you thinking about like a 60cc yeah. catheter tip? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, those are great. I actually don't like them for cows. <laughs> oh. You do? Yeah. So yeah, that's like an ask for a receipt sort of situation. I have a cattle drench gun that I prefer. Okay. It's got a metal and it was like 20 bucks. It's a giant syringe. I don't even know. It's like 500 cc's maybe. I don't okay. know. It's a big, big boy and it has a metal, metal tip on it so they can chomp it and it won't mm-hmm. get trashed. Yeah. But if you don't have the money to invest in that, then yeah, those 60 cc ones are fine. They're just, I feel like harder to get in the mouth. Right. And then you want unsulfured molasses just to have on hand and a lick tub is great to get them at least doing something. My cow went crazy for it. Um, they are high in sugar, so it's probably not the best to just have all the time. But if it's, they are... It, yeah, if you're keeping your cow low on weight. But after calving is not the time to keep your cow off sugars. Right, yeah. exactly. So we're definitely going to just get that and set it out those last couple weeks of pregnancy. Um, and I made a mix called Raina's Drench using unsulfured molasses, Epsom salt, apple cider vinegar, and plain yogurt. I just gave two cups a day for a while. She did really enjoy it and it got her eating. So I was thankful for that. Um, It's in the Keeping a Family Cow Pro Board. So I'll have a link to that in the bottom. It's really pretty. Uh, Do I think it would reverse ketosis? I don't, but I don't think it hurts to give to them to just get them eating as like a top dressing on grain. So just have various kinds of hay on standby. So you want to get them eating as much as you can when they're in ketosis because ketosis just doesn't go away overnight. So when you're purchasing hay, just get several different kinds. Don't just stick to one kind of hay. And then apple cider vinegar sprayed on hay that they are refusing to eat can help them a lot too. It just makes the hay palatable, more palatable sometimes. Um, And I did find that even if they're taking just a couple of bites, it's at least getting something moving. Yeah. With Dixie, she refused to eat anything. So I had to resort to like taking balls of hay and getting it to the back of her throat so she would swallow 
like not the best thing to do, but like literally she was on death's door and she would get it down and start chewing. And that really did get her out of ketosis. Like it started the ball rolling where she got something in her stomach. And I think that's extreme, but if you're stuck with her not eating, like something has to happen. And if you do have this going on, just know that like, don't throw in the towel. There are plenty of animals that came out of milk fever and ketosis and mastitis it's Most not... of them do. Right. Yeah. yeah. When you get on pro boards, it can be kind of scary. It is. Yeah. It's one of those things. And like um, people only get on those things if it's really bad. Yeah. And that's what, yeah. Going into this, I was like, oh, this is going to be a really depressing episode because they all die. They, a lot of them don't. Most of them don't. No. So. The more carbs, the better. Just keep, if you have ketosis, just think carbs, 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 carbs for your cow. Yeah. So you can do it. All right. Well, that was the depressing episode. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Come again. <laughs> I'm triggered. Seriously. It brings up so many bad memories. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. We have to go through this shit to help other people. So right. hopefully this helps somebody else. And um, we're sorry. Yeah. We're sorry if you're going through it. Yeah. But yeah, right before calving season, it's a good time to readdress and refresh your memory on these things and get some supplies and yeah, stock up those supplies. Like go forth. I seriously hope you never have to use it. I think you pretty much have everything, don't you? Yeah. And you've never had to use it. No, no, I haven't. So, all right. Well, on that note, happy, happy milking. milking. Bye. Bye. Bye.